0: 6.51, and with still a few days to go, we're closing in on a possible list of 80 candidates. I don't know what that ballot's going to look like. 80 candidates for mayor of Toronto. One of them is going to join us this morning because so far we haven't done what I like to call the intake interview on Mitzi Hunter. Um, But she says she's going to be resigning today from Queens Park, so I guess uh, stuff gets real today. But we'll find out, you know, 100% ironclad guarantee. Is she absolutely resigning today in order to run for mayor? And if so, that's a considerable amount of jeopardy for somebody who is currently polling below 10%. But, you know, anything could happen in this race. Um, God bless him for believing in radio, because it's still a powerful means of reaching people. But Anthony Perusa, the um, city councilor Running for mayor, currently doing ads right here on News Talk 1010. The last poll I saw, he was at 0%. Now I realize people are going to object to the polls because what happens is they call you up and they start running down a list of names. And the better way to establish who's actually going to place would be actually what's called unprompted recall, which would be who have you heard of? who are you thinking about? Who might you vote for? As opposed to, I'm going to read this list out and you tell me what you think. It's White Coat Wednesday, so our medical correspondent, Dr. Mitch Shulman, joins us. Good morning, Dr. Mitch. Good morning to you, sir. So I was watching this report on the national news last night about the threshold age for women to be uh, screened for breast cancer. Uh, From what I understand, it's currently 50, but the argument is it should start at 40.
1: Yeah. So basically, both Quebec and Ontario have programs in place to provide women with mammograms uh, to test for breast cancer, to look for breast cancer, starting at the age of 15 every two years, which is a huge step forward. I mean, let's not minimize the beneficial effects it's had. But a task force in the United States looking at the current data, seeing the shift in age to younger women um, is recommending that they do it uh, starting at age 40 every two years and another group or two or three other groups, the American College of Radiology and another group. Uh, the American Cancer Society are both saying we want you to start at 40 and we want you to do it every year. So there's obviously some controversy here and what I tell women is certainly take advantage of the provincially uh, funded program so you don't have to pay. But speak to your doctor and if you're at increased risk because of genetics, uh, history of ovarian cancer, breast cancer and a first uh, order relative, You're known to carry certain uh, uh, markers, genetic markers, the BRCA1 and the BRCA2 genes that increase your risk or you're a member of a certain uh, ethnic minority or minority group that has increased risk. You should have the discussion with your doctor and maybe start at least earlier and maybe consider do it annually. And the Americans being the Americans want you to use MRIs as well as mammograms as well as ultrasound and we all know how difficult it is to get an MRI as it is in Canada in most uh, centers. So realistically mammography is a very useful tool it's a form of x-ray but don't anticipate we'll follow the Americans so closely one because we don't have the same availability of technology and two there may be some differences in how we look at the disease here in Canada and how it affects us rather than as it does in the States.
0: Okay. So what has been the signal that prompts this change? Uh, Because I guess the question has to be asked, um, you know, how much more frequently will it be found or is this needless testing?
1: Well, that's the thing and this concern was always if you do mammography, it's radiation how much will you be contributing to an increased risk of breast cancer by the very test you're using to detect it and our technology has increased dramatically in terms of its ability to detect the disease as well as limiting the amount of radiation a woman is exposed to so that is becoming less and less of a concern but the disease is changing and breast cancer amongst women between the ages of 40 and 49 is increasing about 2% per year uh, Mm -hmm. since 2015 so we definitely seen evolution in the disease. Now, is it because we're getting better at it, and so we're shifting the curve towards detecting it in younger people, because we've already been detecting it in older people? Or is it actually a function of the disease? Don't forget, breast cancer is related to obesity and to other things. And so as you see the increasing numbers of obesity, alcohol use uh, in a population, you will expect to see numbers of breast cancer cases increase, the detection of breast cancer hopefully increase and the demographics the people affected shift to a younger age group. So there are a number of factors that could be at work here. At the end of the day, I think women should have this conversation um, uh, with their doctor about being screened and at what age would be best for them to be screened. And I think this change in the American task force's recommendations should be a green light to have that a conversation with your doctor.
0: I'm very curious about this next headline. Magic mushrooms have a strange effect on colorblindness. What is it? Oh, well, they do, do they? <laughs> yeah. um, we don't know this through so, experimentation on ourselves, obviously.
1: So we know scientifically, I have to be careful how I word this, scientifically, we know that people who use any of the hallucinogenic, hallucinogenic um, um, I'll call them drugs for want of a better sure. term, uh, LSD, psilocybin, any of those things, part of the effect for many people is an enhancement of their visual experiences. Certainly, these medications, these substances, all do cause visual changes. We know that. And so there have been some reports in the literature of people with uh, some forms of color-blindness, color-blindness often being genetic, uh, X-linked, and recessive, so women much less likely to get it, guys much more likely to get it, Uh, and the most common being the red-green differentiation difficulty, uh, which obviously can be a problem if you're driving a car. Um, But we know then, therefore, these hallucinogenics can affect vision, And there have been anecdotal reports over the years, and this is what this is. This is a case report. It's not scientific in that sense. Some person uses it, finds that their color vision improves, not immediately, but many hours afterwards, and that improvement lasts for a certain amount of time afterwards. Now the key question is what's going on here. You're not modifying their genes, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You're not modifying their retina. It's too soon to make that a case. So something must be going on in the brain that is modifying its interpretation of the messages that it's getting from the eyes. And there might be something here that we could use to help people with color blindness. So there's potential here. We know that there may be something to it, but I certainly wouldn't rush out and use this as a justification to have a magic mushroom experience until I understand more about exactly what's going on and what are the best ways and the most protective and the safest ways of improving my color vision. Because I have this genetic problem, uh, I, wouldn't, I, I would not wait for more data before. Interesting, but I would wait for more data first.
0: Okay, one more story, and it's about kids and magic. Mental health and the idea that starting school later in the morning might be good for your mental health. Without
1: question. You and I have discussed this in the past, the fact that especially in the teen and adolescent years, getting up early is just physiologically bodily-based, difficult for young kids. And anyone who has a kid in those teen or tween adolescent years knows it's almost impossible to get them up in the morning. Their whole body rhythm cycles through a period where most kids, not all, But most kids tend to stay up late and tend to have difficulty waking up in the morning. And the end result of that is they're tired, they're grumpy, they're fidgety, they're less able to pay attention, and they do worse and their behavior uh, deteriorates in school. Where a number of different school boards have taken advantage of this information to shift the start of their school day for this age group to later. And there have been a couple of reports where they've definitely seen an improvement, uh, both in the fact that the kids are feeling better, they perform better, they're less fidgety. And in the most recent studies, these kids are less prone to the mental health problems, the depression, the suicidal thoughts, the anxiety that seems to be part and parcel of the transition through that age group. And we think it's because one of the factors that increases this is the lack of sleep. And so anything you can do to improve that will improve their mental health.
0: Dr. Mitch, thanks. Always a pleasure tremendously enjoy these. I look forward to speaking to you next week. Excellent. That is Dr. Mitch Shulman, our medical correspondent